Hello, welcome to Cinemaniac Jack. I'm your host, Jack. Today's guest co-host is Toria. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So basically the gist of the show is that we talk about films that I love based on whatever the topic of the episode is. And in the first half of the show, I talk to my guest about whatever the topic is. So it's horror slash Halloween month on Cinemaniac Jack. And today's topic is a film with a favorite friendship. And the film I chose is Ed Wood. Uh, but first, uh, Toria is going to tell us some of her favorite friendships in film. Yeah, so these aren't horror films, but yeah. they are films that depict friendship. And the first film that came to my mind was actually Clueless. Oh, yeah. Um, and Clueless came out in 90, 95 or 96, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's actually... I'm sure most people know this by now, but Clueless is an adaptation of, and like a modernized version of the Jane Austen novel, Emma. So they take this, you know, 19th century English novel, and it's been turned into a story about high school students, like very wealthy high school students in California in the 90s. And the main character, Cher, is this very wealthy, very beautiful, kind of snobby, (laughs) kind of, you know, deep down, uh, maybe a bit, maybe a bit full of herself. Um, But she's very smart and, like, she's very, I think she's very charming. And she has a couple of friends uh, in high school, her best friend's name is Dion. So <laughs> they're both named after like pop divas, Cher and Dion Warwick. And in the very beginning of the movie, Cher is picking up Dion from her house. And in the like narration voiceover, Cher says that she and Dion are friends because they both know what it feels like to have people be jealous of them. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, like the basis of their friendship doesn't feel super deep. They're yeah. both just like popular and beautiful and wealthy. But then there's a new girl who comes to school and her name is Ty. And she's kind of like, I think maybe like newer money, quote unquote. And mm-hmm. I think she's from the, I can't remember where she's from. She's just moved to California from like the East Coast or something like that. And she's kind of, quote-unquote, clueless, or at least that's how Cher sees her. Mm-hmm. She thinks Ty is clueless because she doesn't really know, like, how to move through the social crowds. And she's very kind of wide-eyed and kind of, like, innocent, but also a little bit rough around the edges at the same time. Mm-hmm. And Cher decides to, like, take Ty under her wing and do a makeover and try to set her up with a popular boyfriend and... So their friendship is kind of based in, like, Kitty and Cher kind of, like, seeing her as, like, a pet and a project and not really, like, appreciating her for who she is or seeing her as an equal. And what we see play out in the film is how that doesn't really, that doesn't ultimately pan out very well. Um, Well, it backfires on her. Yeah, she feels like she's kind of created a monster in Ty because Ty starts to be kind of mean and she's even a little bit mean towards Cher and kind of dismissive towards her and she's kind of lost like 
a little bit of the spirit but like she was so sweet in the beginning and and she's kind of just turned into this like popular clicky clone yeah and by the end of the film Cher kind of realizes that she herself was pretty clueless about a bunch of things and she kind of repents (laughs) and she and Ty you know they have a falling out but they ultimately they ultimately come back together and Ty has is a little bit more like herself and Cher has gotten like a deeper sense of purpose in life and she is more accepting of people Ty but other people as well that she kind of looked down on before for being like grungy or you know um not good enough for her Mm -hmm. so I don't know that movie kind of came to mind also because I saw it when I was so young I was probably like six when I first saw Clueless actually so even though it's so not a typical high school that's being depicted or a tip or typical teenagers that are being depicted i took a lot of that in as like oh look at these you know these older kids and their and their circle of friends Um, but i think there's like an interesting message in that story about you know you can't truly be friends with someone if you view them as like not your equal and you don't really respect them and you don't really accept them and you're trying to change them Mm-hmm. that that's that's not really a recipe for a friendship and i and i appreciate how share like really grows up and starts to take more accountability for herself and become a little bit more a little bit more kind to people and more accepting of people and then her friendships i think become more genuine yeah uh what were your other friend or what was your next friendship the other one that immediately came to mind is also from the 90s and it's called now and then do you remember now and then yeah i do remember but you know what's funny i actually remember the soundtrack more than i remember the movie i don't even think i've actually sat down and watched the movie all the way through i've just seen like bits and pieces of it but i always remember the soundtrack because mom and dad used to play it like all the time so yeah Yes, the soundtrack totally is, like, stuck in my mind. It's inseparable in my mind from the actual movie itself. And I still think of that movie whenever I hear, like, Sugar, Sugar. Yeah, no, but that's what's funny is that, like, that was the first time, like, I heard those songs. Yes. Like, Sugar, Sugar, and I Want You Back by the Jackson 5, uh, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered by Stevie Wonder. That was, like, the first time I ever heard those songs, so it's really... Yeah, it's funny to me. Yeah, I think same for me. The movie takes place in 1970, so mm-hmm. the music is all from, like, mostly from, like, the 60s. And, yeah. And um, that's, like, a you know, a coming-of-age film about these four girls who are friends, and they're kind of... It's about the summer of 1970 when they're kind of right in this midway point between childhood and adolescence. Like, they're kind of just starting to have more awareness of of things like you know their parents being imperfect or you know their bodies changing their sexuality emerging things like that and I think I was really fascinated by this movie because it actually was pretty rare to see like four girls who are friends in a movie that depicts their friendship and depicts them as being very human Mm-hmm. And yes, there's some there's some stuff about like boys and 
crushes, but they also are grappling with, like, divorce and death and these, like, you know, really, it, it, they they are grappling with the whole spectrum of different human experiences, and it was really fascinating for me to just get to see girls depicted in this way, and also depicted as, like, you know, there's one character who's more of a tomboy who gets into fights and, like, wrestles in the mud and um another character who's kind of more like sardonic and kind of a little bit like dark and you know they they get angry they get moody they're curious about sex and things like that and I think also I just didn't see a lot of girls depicted as like really human like not just like pretty princesses and things like that so getting to see girls like be really curious about all sorts of things and have all like all sorts of different feelings and um that I think was really interesting and getting to see them be friends together and have these really deep connections they like make a pact to always be there for each other and there's also the film is bookended by seeing them you know like 20 years later Mm -hmm. and they've kind of for the most part, drifted apart and haven't all been together in a really long time, but they do kind of still have this bond. And so it's like a little bit awkward when they're getting back together. Um, but they ultimately have this like really deep connection. So that def that movie definitely left an imprint on me and is one that I think about when I think of friendship in films. And I didn't realize that that movie, I hadn't actually seen it in a long time. I watched it a lot when I was a kid I haven't watched it in forever and I didn't realize until I kind of looked it up recently that it did not get good reviews when it came out. Oh really? Uh, yeah, and it's kind of like considered a cult a cult classic now. But I think that I think that it was an important film and definitely an important film for like girls to get to see some of those things depicted, however imperfectly, you know. Yeah. Um did you have another friendship? Yeah, so also kind of similar, in a similar vein, I really was trying to think of uh, films that depict female friendships, because I think there are so many films that are, like, buddy buddy comedies with men, and that's great. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think it is really nice to get to see women who are friends as well. Like, you know, I think about the, the Bechdel test, which is... Um, if you apply the Bechdel test to a movie, it means asking yourself, is there more than one woman in this film? I think maybe who has a name. Um, do two women in the film ever talk to each other? And do they talk about anything other than a man? And a ton of films fail this test. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like, actually getting to see women be friends and talk about something other than a man is important. And... Um, and also because of how women are often portrayed in media as being, like, catty and competitive. But in reality, I think female friendships are, like, a, back, a backbone of, of society and, pe- and people's well-being. So, um, mean girls came to mind. Mm. <laughs> now, having said all of that about, like, cattiness and... And the way girls are portrayed. So, obviously, there's Mean Girls is... Again, I haven't watched it in a long time. I'm sure there's many things that if I watched it now, I would be like, oh, that's messed up. Um, But you basically have, you know, the... 
it's kind of similar to Clueless. There's a clique of popular girls, and then a new girl moves into town and kind of becomes, well, she becomes friends with two kind of outcasts, but she also kind of has an in with the popular clique, and the outcasts are like, oh, you should get in there. You should infiltrate and, like, you know, you should infiltrate the popular clique and mess with them. Mm-hmm. But similar to Ty, she kind of turns into a monster, right? Like, she just becomes, she becomes the monster. Uh, but by the end of the film, again, and people kind of, things boil over, and eventually people find their way to more purpose and to more genuine friendships and relationships. Um, so... I don't know that there's really great examples of friendship in that film, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, like, because the sad truth of it is that she's being used by both parties, you know? Yeah. Even though even the ones that she considers to be her real friends are still just kind of using her. Yeah, because the girl who wants her to infiltrate the popular clique has a grudge against them and wants to destroy Regina George, the like the queen of the populars. Yeah. So yeah, I would not say that I see that film as like a an example of how to be a friend or an example of good or even realistic friendship, but mm-hmm. it is one that comes to mind because it is depicting again like high school and teenagers and friendships or at the very least social <laughs> social circles and connections and how people are navigating them in this kind of over the top way um but i do appreciate that in both clueless and mean girls um you know share kind of starts to find some purpose through doing some like charity work and trying to help people who have been affected by a natural disaster and um hopefully over time you know she grows and 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 becomes a better and better person that's kind of her first step at the end of Mean Girls, the popular queen, Regina, starts to play field hockey, I think, mm-hmm. and, like, gets her aggression out through sports, and she's now, like, friends with some of the athletic girls, and so you kind of see people channeling channeling their qualities that could be used for, for evil or for good into more purposeful activities in life, and then bonding with people um, through having, like, common interests and... So, I, I think that's kind of interesting, too. Yeah. I mean, that film is just, like, a classic. Um, I mean, I, I can't watch it as much, because I, f- I feel like it's one of those movies that, like, you watch, like, too much. But, like, when I do watch it, I enjoy it a lot. So Yeah, I, I also, like, I saw it so many times when I was younger, and that's probably why I don't really watch it now. But I think, you know, there's a lot in it as well about, like, bullying, and, you know, there's a burn yeah. book where the popular girls are writing awful things about everyone else in their grade. And or I think specifically the other girls in their grade. And it's, it's really awful, you know, um, mm-hmm. like the type of bullying that's going on. That is also something that, that people deal with on some scale in real life. So I think at the time there was something kind of cathartic for people um, about watching everyone in that film, like deal with the fallout of things really coming to the surface and just like having to actually deal with that and like name it and then things ultimately getting better in the end so yeah cool so uh you ready to get into it yeah i'm ready okay so today we're talking about ed wood 
So Ed Wood is a biographical comedy drama film released on September 30th, 1994. It was directed by Tim Burton. The screenplay was written by Scott Alexander and Larry Kurzweski. I'm sorry, Larry, if I mispronounced your name. Uh, it was based on the book uh, Nightmare of Ecstasy, The Life and Art of Edward D. Wood Jr. by Rudolph Gray. It stars Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Patricia Arquette, Jeffrey Jones, and Bill Murray. And uh, I didn't bother to write a synopsis for this one because I tried so hard, but like I couldn't, I didn't know how to like <laughs> synopsize this film. So I figured we would just get into this one. Uh, so uh, first off, uh, what did you think of it? I'm because re- I'm I'm really curious. Yeah, I had not seen this film. I obviously knew about it because it's a pretty famous. Well, if, if you pay attention to Johnny Depp and Tim Burton, then you know about the film, and mm-hmm. it's like so iconic. Like I, I, I had seen images of Johnny Depp in the pink angora sweater. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I had always known about it, but had never seen it, and I found you know I was just it was a really fascinating film because I feel like the characters are pretty complex and yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, there's like a certain innocence, but then also definitely a darkness to the whole thing. Yeah. At least that's how I felt about it. So it was really interesting to like watch that interplay of innocence and darkness and complexity. And, um, Johnny Depp's performance. I, I like for, I haven't, watched him in anything in a long time yeah um and uh he he plays that that mixture of innocence and darkness and desperation really well i think um so that was kind of what stuck out to me was like always feeling a little bit like like rooting for characters but also feeling a little bit uneasy about them you know yeah like with the ed wood one in, in particular and bella lugosi too yeah like both of them are so desperate basically you know but there's also like a certain like in the very beginning of the film there's this kind of like purity to ed wood yeah like he just seems so hopeful and passionate but then at the same time, as you go into the film more, you, he's pretty desperate and you see him like really willing to do all sorts of things for the sake of his art. And and he's also very slapdash about his art. And so, um, yeah, he never does anything. He, you know, he also is very loyal to Bella, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. Yeah. And um, so it's just, yeah, it's just he's like a very interesting character. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I read about it was that, like, obviously it's not, like, a 100% accurate portrayal of his life. Yeah. Uh, and, but Tim, but Tim Burton said that he, what he wanted to do with the film was that he wanted to capture, like, the, uh, he wanted the film to kind of have, like, the viewpoint of Ed Wood himself, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of have, like, that optimism and uh and and like one of the things that the film doesn't show is that in real life he was actually an alcoholic yeah and that was what ended up uh killing him in the end was his 
it was his alcohol problem. But that film, but the film never shows that. Yeah, um, I did read read about that after, and I thought that was interesting. They kept they didn't they didn't take him to that dark of a place. Yeah, and and, I, I, and it's interesting because like, yeah, like it like the tone it it, it the tone of the film fits Ed Wood really well. I think because like obviously like at times where it's like it's so Hollywood and you're just like that would never happen it's so yeah. like like uh like when he meets uh Orson Welles at the end and he they kind of have like a chat to sh- chat about like artistic vision and stuff and it's so Hollywood and like optimistic but at the same time it's like yeah but that's like what Ed Wood would have wanted so yeah, it works. there's so much coincidence of him just kind of running into people and then yeah. uh, magically like coming along for the ride with him yeah uh in this kind of inexplicable way um and also can i just say like the first thing that really stuck out to me well the first thing that stuck out to me was the opening credits are very cool yeah um the the opening credit sequence with like the tombstones and the octopus and the um flying saucers you know i didn't realize that they were all going to show up in the film later on then but i really enjoyed that opening sequence but pretty early on too sarah jessica parker's character dolores mm-hmm. they're reading a review of the, his play that she was in and she's like do, she says something like do i look really look like a horse or yeah. they say that she looks like a horse and i was like wait is that where the whole yeah. sarah jessica parker looks like a horse thing came from or yeah that's what i was wondering too a joke about it yeah like which came first the chicken or the egg yeah yeah that is very strange and i i was also i i'm really curious i was really curious to know what you would think of uh dolores um you know being the feminist that you are because because she's written to be kind of like uh like the shrew character like the shrew archetype and um i feel like in some ways like it's it's weird because it's like i feel like like she's kind of written so that we're supposed to hate her but at the same time it's like i feel like we're not really like she's not really treated fairly as a character either and um and what i read of uh, the real uh dolores um i mean i read that her the portrayal of her wasn't very accurate um because apparently in real life she had more involvement in woods uh films and um yeah i don't know i i watched an interview with her and she seemed really like easygoing and like funny and um yeah i don't know what what what's your what was your take on her yeah, you know, I was thinking to myself when I was saying that the characters are all pretty complex, like, I actually felt that she was a pretty complex character, too. I mean, not, she wasn't written as well as she could have been, like you're saying, I think, because they do kind of put her in the role of, like, the shrew, like, mm-hmm. this, like, difficult girlfriend. At the same time, I felt like she was so supportive of him, like, in the beginning. Yeah. Whenever he was down, she was, like saying that's just one person that's just one review like that's just one person's opinion and like keep trying and she was even the one who had the idea for him to seek funding from 
outside of like the Hollywood studio scene. That was her idea that yeah. she was encouraging him to do, which ultimately does, you know, prove somewhat successful for him. Yeah. Um, not super successful, but that is how he gets some stuff made. So I felt like she was really supportive. And then obviously, you know, it's really difficult to watch her be so kind of freaked out by him wearing women's clothing at the same time like he has been hiding something from her and i think it was she was she, i i felt like the fact that she stuck around for as long as she did and she says to him like after she freaks out at the party like this is a terrible film you're all crazy she's clearly like kind of disgusted by by you know him wearing women's clothing and she even's kind of is reacting when she 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 seems very uncomfortable when their friend is talking about having surgery to transition mm-hmm. at the same time she also tells him at the after she's like freaked out at the party that like she stuck around just through the end of the film like it it still seemed important to her to support him through making this film even though he had been you know like hiding this thing from her and wearing her clothing and um and even when he replaces her with another actress, you know, she does stick it through the end of that film. So mm-hmm. I actually thought Sarah Jessica Parker did a good job with the role and with kind of trying to represent like these dueling emotions she's feeling of like she's uncomfortable. And at the same time, she does seem to still have some strong feelings of like wanting to support him. I don't love that she, I mean, I don't like at all that she literally throws a frying pan at him and hits him <laughs> on the head with a pan. I think, like, you know, that's that's very violent. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I do think that it's interesting to just see her as, like, oh, she's, like, very, very loyal to him. But at the same time, kind of difficult, and then ultimately can't accept him and leaves. Um, and we don't get as much of her humanity. But I do think that I was I was pretty intrigued by her character. And as much as I liked um, Kathy, the woman that he does end up marrying, mm-hmm. she felt so one note to me as just this like yeah. sweet, supportive, like okay, whatever. Like I'm here yeah. for you. I'll jump in front of a car for you. Um, Which, again, seems very kind of, like, like that optimism tone, like the Hollywood thing that Tim Burton's yeah. kind of going for. Yeah, so I felt like she was m- more one note. And obviously, she's not even in the film that much, but she's just, like, knitting booties and just kind of, like, blinking at him and, like, okay, I, I accept you. And, like, it's very nice. Like, I want him to find love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, pretty pretty one note as a yeah. Um, And I actually, like, read a quote from, from Dolores Fuller, which I thought was interesting, where she said, um, quote, despite the dramatic liberties, I think Tim Burton is fabulous. I wish they could have made it a deeper love story because we really loved each other. We strove to find investors together. I worked so hard to support Ed and I, unquote. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, like, it came through a little bit, but, like, that support and that loyalty 
Um, but yeah, they probably could have made it. Honestly, it probably would have been a little bit more heartbreaking if they had, unless like, I think by the time she leaves, you're just kind of like, yeah, but it probably would have been sadder if they had made her more of a human. Yeah. So yeah, this, the topic is favorite, a favorite friendship in a film. And obviously one of the things that I love about this film is, um, the, the friendship between Ed Wood and Bella Lugosi. What was your take on it? Well, I think it's so interesting having just talked about Ed Wood's, you know, his, um, the women that he was in relationships with. He has so much more loyalty to Bella than I think even to, like, Dolores. Like, ultimately, you can tell he's, he feels badly about, um, giving away Dolores's part uh and he clearly didn't want to do it and felt like he just had to because he needed money and he thought this woman was going to pay for it and mm-hmm. it wouldn't get made without that so you get that it's a difficult decision however he still does make that decision and he doesn't seem he's a little bit he's pretty dismissive to Dolores like on the set and everything because he's under this pressure mm-hmm. and he just kind of snaps at her he pretty much never snaps at Bella he is so like just so loyal to him well he's also just like he fanboys like constantly yeah over him and and also what i think is interesting though is like bella when he meets him he's like my wife of 20 years left me last month Mm -hmm. so and something i find kind of moving and interesting is that when ed finally brings bella to check himself into rehab bella says i've been an addict for 20 years and I'm making an assumption that you can imagine that his wife probably was trying to get him to get help for a really long time and then left him and it's almost like you know he too like like for whatever reason um didn't get help when he was with her but Obviously, there's a pretty big turning point when he almost commits suicide and almost kills Ed in the process, yeah. too. But something about... It feels like something about his relationship with Ed leads him to get help in a way that maybe he wouldn't have if he hadn't been friends with him. I don't know. That's kind yeah. of my reading. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think also, like, like I think Ed is supposed to be kind of good at, like, or like maybe some because he he doesn't always succeed at it but he seems at times to be good at like talking people into things yeah like he's a good negotiator so maybe that's partially the reason why i'm not i'm not sure um well i think i mean he's it seems like bella feels really close to him like he calls ed in the night when he's like you know I guess he's probably kind of, like, overdosing, right? Like, he doesn't die, but he's, like, on the floor. Um, And he does that multiple times, and he asks Ed to come help him, and he cries to him. And and when when Ed has Bella do that, like, 4 a.m. octopus water scene for the film, and the next day he's like, I'm so sorry, Bella, you know, that I had you do that. And Bella's like, there's not many men I would do that for. But he doesn't seem, like, angry about it. He's not annoyed at Ed. Like, he feels... A, they both feel, like, 
this really I think they're both like pretty desperate at that point but they they yeah. you know Ed like you said is a total fanboy when it comes to Bella and Bella I think really appreciates that Ed like respects him so much but then through that they seem to develop like a very genuine connection and care for each other that transcends like just the fanboying or just like the the praise so yeah i I think that's the most that's the relationship that feels the most like complex and and um deep i guess oh yeah and i guess like that's it, it is kind of like the ultimate kind of like fantasy too of like you becoming like best friends with like one of your idols so it's kind of like it's it's interesting to see it kind of uh play out the way it does and uh and yeah like you said that scene where he says oh i I wouldn't have done that for anybody else it's just it's really sweet and it's sweet to hear like you know egg kind of like apologize to him and you know yeah and then like that final scene that they have together on the street he's like i wish you could have seen the film and he's like "Ah, i've I know the film by heart, and yeah. And it's such a contrast to when they first meet. Like, when they first meet, Bella is so, like, grumpy and dismissive and, like, kind of angry and just, you know, mm-hmm. gets a ride home from him, but he's totally, like... And he, he's, he can be so angry and grumpy with other people, but, yeah, that scene between them is so tender. Or the, the a couple of the scenes get really, like, tender and... It was, to me, so, like, the scene where where Bella has a gun, and he's, like, he, like, is about to kill Ed with the gun, yeah. he could, you know? Mm-hmm. And Ed stays so calm, and, like, just completely calm, and then when Bella kind of, like, realizes what he had almost did, mm-hmm. he is just like, I'm so sorry. You know, he starts apologizing to him, and, um... Yeah, there's just these moments where you can tell that they really do care for each other. And and even that scene um, when they are on the street and and Bella, like, recites the, the lines that Ed wrote for him mm-hmm. from heart, by heart, and then, like, all these people come up to him. I thought that was really interesting because it's, like, Ed... Ed is the one who wrote those words that kind of, like, drew those people to him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like brought out so much like passion in him because he so accurately described how Bella actually felt in real life and so I just thought it was like a very kind of full circle moment that then like he does kind of have that final moment of like performance and people coming to him and being like oh you know that like clapping Mm -hmm. and it's like from what Ed wrote for him yeah and Martin Landau is great as Lugosi yeah and he was so good that he actually won an academy award for best supporting actor Mm. and uh yeah um it I mean it definitely yeah it was deserved because like he really like transformed himself yeah in that part um yeah and obviously like they took some like artistic liberties with Lugosi like you know I don't, like, the real Lugosi didn't really, like, swear so much, obviously, but I don't know, like, I I think it's just, there's just something funny about hearing Dracula drop F-bombs, like, <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know, it's really funny. 
It is. Like, he's such a... One of the things I love about him is that, like, he's such a committed actor. Like, um... And, like, he... One of the funniest examples of this is when, after he gets angry at one of the crew members for bringing up Boris Karloff, and uh, Ed kind of, like, comes to his side, and he's like, are you okay? Do you want to, like, take a few minutes? And he's like, bullshit, I'm ready now, roll the camera. And then they start filming, and then he does the scene, and he's, like, amazing at it, and it's just, it's so, it's amazing and funny at the same time. Yeah. It's also very sweet that, oh, and it's pretty heartbreaking when, you know, he is in rehab and Ed is talking to the doctor and the doctor is telling him, like, oh, he doesn't have insurance. And Ed is like, you can have, you know, you can take everything I have. Like, I'm broke, but I have a few hundred dollars. You can have it. And the doctor is like, yeah, that's not like a drop in the bucket. And, like, you have to, he needs to leave. And the fact that, like, Ed never... Not only does he not, like, abandon him, but he even, like, shoots a movie scene outside of his house just because Bella is like, when are we going to make another movie, you yeah. know? And just the thought to me of how, I don't know how accurate that is or if any of that really happened, but for the characters, like, how difficult it would be to be in that situation of, like, seeing him be so sick and thrown out of the hospital and now he's just got to try to, like, take care of him as best he can and and also try to give him bring him some happiness um yeah. just how emotionally difficult that would be and the fact that he sticks by him through it and you know he never he never really cracks around bella and that's special yeah and one of the things that is interesting about his part too is that you really see like the dark side of I mean, you see the dark side of Hollywood throughout the whole thing, but, like, really, like, with, uh, with Lugosi, because, like, he was, like, once, like, a big star, and then by the, you know, when we see him at the start of the film, he's already, like, washed up, and he's, like, addicted to morphine, um, but, you know, but the interesting thing is, like, Ed is just kind of completely blind to that whole thing, and he's only seeing, like, uh his idol yeah well like you said when you're saying like it's kind of like a dream to become best friends with your idol but at the same time if if it were if it were a different person not the super optimistic ed wood someone else might be like oh this is a nightmare like yeah i met my idol but he's a drug addict and you know he's addicted to drugs and he's he's totally you know like no one respects him anymore and he's difficult and um it's like you know, it's really just a, a, the fact that Ed is so relentlessly just loyal to him and admiring of him and passionate about films and like that he can actually like remain friends with him and kind of like stick through it. And, and it really seems like that his friendship with him is a driving force in him wanting to make films just as much as his own desire to be a director. Like he clearly has a very strong desire to make films and to be like Orson Welles and write and act and direct but he also says like I've got to make a film for Bella and like all of his film pitches like involve Bella Lugosi and yes he's also trying to like capitalize on the fact that he is a star but I think a lot of it also just has to do with the fact that he knows how desperate Bella is and he's just like this is ridiculous this is an icon you know yeah 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 I find that very interesting too how he um 
he the the other reason why he's trying to do his films is also just to help Bella get work and yeah just be able to like act again which is yeah, really Bella's like I'm broke my unemployment ran out I don't know what I'm gonna do you know like he's so desperate and he's old yeah but getting back to like Ed Wood himself like I just think like Johnny Depp is just like amazing in this part i don't just say like everything that like he does like i just like i love how like he like he's got like this kind of like childlike quality to him um and i I love how like like he always like mouths like his own lines whenever people are speaking them like um which i don't even think is really like narcissism like narcissism necessarily but it's just like it's a it's like it's like that childhood like that childish um pride kind of and like excitement you know yeah and i love like i mean it's just really interesting to watch him have this like just this this deep passion this deep desire to like just totally fulfill his vision without compromise but at the same time you know he needs money and he needs to do what he has to do and trying to trying to reconcile those things like and speaking to him being like a charmer i thought the scene where he and a bunch of his friends get baptized Mm -hmm. they're trying to get money from you know the uh i forgot which which church it is specifically it's a a baptist church i guess Um, yeah and and Bill Murray's character is just like, how do you do it? Like, how did you get all of your friends to get baptized just so you can make a monster movie? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, there's something charming about him because he's just so wide-eyed and believes in it so much. Um, and he just has this kind of, like, gaggle of misfit friends that are trying to believe in him, too. Yeah. And I think also because he's so he's kind of good at, like, talking people into things. Like, he's even kind of, like, like, his friends are, like, kind of, um, like, in awe of him a bit. Like Yeah, and, as- like, I think it's the scene where he, where they have the party after he's made that first film and he comes out dancing in his, in his, um, like, the wig and he's wearing women's clothing and he's doing this dance, and they're all just, like, so joyous and dancing around, and, like, everyone's just having a blast, and, of course, like, Dolores kind of, you know, like, snaps and yells at them and runs off and kind of breaks the spell, but there is this, like, oh, wow, there's something, like, charismatic about him, and, like, you know, he says early on in the film that he's trying to make this movie about, like, who you are on the inside versus who you are in public, like, the Mm -hmm. two the two sides of you and when you see him having this party with this like like i said like this kind of gaggle of misfits and he's like being his like full authentic self in front and like right in the middle of all of them mm-hmm. there's this moment where it's just like wow i think people could feel so like free around him you know like not judged and um i think maybe that has a little bit of a magnetic power for those people as well yeah um and like what did you like, what did you think of the whole thing of him being into, like, wearing, like, women's clothing? Like, especially, like, 
like in that time period where everything was just so like taboo and yeah i mean i i really thought it was interesting how like how he introduces this theme of like you know i know what it's like to live with a secret and to be hiding something and i think he says that like that the film producer that he that he goes to to try to um make the film pitch to get the directing job for the movie about um i can't remember the person's name um he says like i've never told anyone this before but i like to dress in women's clothes and it's like uh and and you know i can tell this story because i i know what it's like to like carry this this secret and and the guy is kind of so like dismissive of this of this like thing that he's just shared with him because he's yeah. like, well, that's great and everything, but I just need someone who can make a film in like four days or something like yeah. insane like that. But, mm-hmm. And it's so kind of like crushing to for that to be like the response that the the person gives to him, who's the first person he's ever shared this secret with. Yeah, and you know, I really feel for him in in the fact that he's been. Um you know, like, also hasn't been able to share this with his girlfriend, and um, the way that he does end up giving her the script and then changing into the clothing, and she walks out, and, like, there he is, and and that's kind of, like, a strange optimism as well, because as much as, like, he's been hiding it, then he's, like, when he decides he's gonna tell her, he's, like, he just goes full speed ahead, like, puts the outfit on, and it's, like, gonna be pretty jarring for her, you know, but he just kind of has this hopeful, like, it's all good, right? Um, so, I don't know. It was just interesting because even that, I mean, I felt like ultimately, you know, that could be a much darker, a much dark, take a much darker turn in a, like a grittier movie. Like, he, there could be some real violence done to him for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but in this film, it's, it's never really that heavy. Like even when he comes out <laughs> dressed like that, when the Baptists are on the film set, they're kind of like, "Hey, change out of that!" And he's like, "No, you know." <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's never really. It never really takes a super dark turn. So that's like kind of interesting yeah. to me. Well, even it's the just not that kind of film. Yeah. Well, even the way like he, like when he first like admits it, like I, it's really funny how. He, he reveals it like when he's talking to the guy and he's like uh when he's saying like how he wore undergarments when he was in the war and he's like i'll tell you i wasn't scared of being killed but i was terrified of getting wounded and having the medics discover my secret yeah 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 and it is really interesting that they you know like he's like no i like women i just like to wear women's clothing like it's it's um it's an interesting way to show just like that like uh, someone who isn't like easily pigeonholed it's not like oh he's hiding that he's gay um it's like there are so many ways that people might want to express themselves or might you know different yeah there's so many different places on this like spectrum of gender expression and identity and sexuality that people can be and so it is pretty interesting that he's like no like i actually do like women and it's kind of complex. He just says that his mother dressed him in girls' clothing when yeah. he was young. <laughs> yeah. 
and again, like, he just, like, he has this, like, like, his optimism, like, leads to such, like, funny moments. Like, I love the part where it's, like, right after they shoot the, um, the octopus scene, and it's, like, the morning after, and one of the crew guys turns to him and he goes, I only got one hour of sleep last night. And he says, yeah, well, I got no sleep and I feel great. <laughs> well, I also think he does a great job of, like, conveying this, like, frozen smile with, like, these, like, frantically moving eyes. Like, he's trying to, like, stay calm, trying to stay optimistic, but things are getting, like, increasingly desperate and difficult. And I feel like Johnny Depp does a good job of showing him, like, kind of at the end of his rope but still trying to maintain that level of like hope and we can do this and um so like i feel like just his facial expressions like his face when the actress that he meets in the bar says that she wants to play janet and like he knows what this means for his girlfriend you know and Mm -hmm. like his face is just priceless and or when someone like says the wrong thing to bella lugosi yeah and like the look that he gives (laughs) <laughs> the look that he gives them he's just like just like trying to contain you know like any you know his like anger or frustration or or exasperation yeah like he does have this side that's like kind of stubborn and he can get he does actually get a little bit snippy with people sometimes like he can be a little bit uh he can be have a lot of tunnel vision just kind of dismissive and, of other people yeah. But not, like, intentionally, though. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I mean, I don't know. Like, he's just, he's such a fascinating person. And I think, like, he's, again, he's one of those examples where we're also just so fascinated by, like, uh, n- not just the good of Hollywood, but also the bad <laughs> of Hollywood. <laughs> like, we're fascinated by, uh you know, like, the Ed Woods, and we're fascinated by, like, the Tommy Wiseaus and stuff. Yeah. And so, like, what, like, I don't know, it's interesting. It's like, it's like they've almost had as much of an impact on cinema uh, as much as, like, the Orson Welles and the Alfred Hitchcocks, which is kind of strange. Like, I don't know, like, it's, it's interesting, because, like, even, like, you know, because I'm such a big David Lynch fan, like, even David Lynch himself said that Glenn or Glenda is actually, like, one of his favorite movies so it uh yeah i don't know it's just it's fascinating to me well it's really fascinating i think this film does such a good job of showing what artists are up against in a society where like you need money to make this happen and yeah the money comes you know comes from people who have their own opinions and want to have a say in how things get done and you can see, like, the dilemma. It's a real tension and dilemma for people. Um, and it's not it's not that easy to just, to just you know, make what you want to make when it's something that's so expensive to do. Um, and I think that it also really, it's, it's this fascinating thing, like what you're saying with, like, Tommy Wiseau. Like, the things, the qualities that we hail as, like, heroic in a visionary artist Mm -hmm. like that we believe is great you know what what does it mean when someone has the qualities of being laser focused totally believing in their own vision totally uncompromising and all of these things but you know what they produce 
doesn't seem to be so great. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's like we have these stories in our culture of like, stay true to yourself, be true to your vision. Like, you do you. Like, what what does it mean when like doing you means that like you don't care if a boom mic is showing it in the shot or like <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't care if the tombstone gets knocked over, um, even though it's supposed to be a heavy tombstone in the ground. Like all these, like he's. So it's just kind of interesting, like that that uh, the qualities of just like being really stubbornly married to your vision has different results for different people. Yeah, I mean, I think this movie it, it perfectly shows like what you should not do if you want to make art. You know what I mean? <laughs> or like you know, if, just yeah. It's it's kind of a like a cautionary tale in a in a way. Like it's like this is what, this is what you don't want to do, you know. And I wonder, like, I found myself wondering, you know, the very first shot that he does, like in when he's um, like looking in looking in a window on the a uh, shop window on the street, and he does one take, and then he's like, okay. And they're like, wait, do you want to do another? And he's like, why? That was perfect. <laughs> and it's like, does he really think these things are perfect? Or is it just that, like, he doesn't have enough money to do more than one? That or he's perfect? just, he's just too lazy to, like, really, he's not aware of his own laziness, perhaps. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm curious, is it, like, a little bit of all of the above, you know? Is it? Yeah. I, that's just, it's just really interesting to me, that whole aspect of it. Yeah. It, and it's definitely funny. not a perfectionist. Yeah. Well, he. Well, that that, the lines between the uh, him and the, the crew member is funny. Like when he's like, "I'm worried about the light," and he's like, "Good thinking," <laughs> and then he just kind of like dismisses it. After that, it's really yeah, funny. They're like, "Oh, it was morning, and now it's nighttime." You know. Yeah. And he's like, "Suspension of disbelief." Yeah, I mean the. I just. I think that's really like kind of like what the film is about. It's like just just like the love of making art really i don't know just like that whole speech of like that orson wells gives him at the end where he's like you know visions are worth fighting for and i don't know like it seems to be like uh it's like it's like it's saying it i I guess it just seems to saying that seems to be saying that like you know you know somebody like ed wood is just as important as like somebody like Orson Welles or mm. you know yeah I and like you said like there's something that we're drawn to by like Tommy Wiseau I mean I think I think the reaction is kind of like wow this is so bad that I can't look away but yeah maybe there's I don't know there's also something about the character of that person um who that's just like really fascinating to people yeah um I think it's really sweet how at the premiere of of the the film where you know it's the last the last shot that he did of of Bella Lugosi in the beginning and at the premiere all he says before the they show the film is this is for Bella yeah which is so uh it gets you right in the yeah it's really sweet yeah so there's kind of like that you know, that needing of, okay, like, his visionary, him seeing himself as this visionary and having this, and an artist, but at the same time, also just a very, very loyal friend um, to Bella, and, like, 
that was really and and the idea like that Bella would just love kind of like returning from the grave to do this last film you know yeah I found myself thinking a lot about like Tim Burton making the film like what it must be like to make a film about making films you know to be the director making a film about a director yeah. and also the fact that Tim Burton and Johnny Depp have had such a close well at least we're I don't know too much about their relationship but Johnny Depp has been in several Tim Burton films they there must be at least some you know respect and uh desire to work together there I don't know how close they are in in life but I just thought some of those parallels were kind of interesting yeah do you know much about Tim Burton and Johnny Depp um yeah I don't really know that much about uh Johnny Depp and Tim Burton's relationship, I'm assuming they're... I think they are friends in real life. I mean, obviously, like, he's been in so many of his movies, so... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I just... I thought that that was kind of interesting, just knowing that, um, and then seeing, you know, what's portrayed in the film itself about making movies and love of movies and directing and friendship and collaboration and partnership in films. It's just kind of interesting to know that Tim Burton and Johnny Depp have made so many films together, so because I, I'll be interested, I might do a little bit of research now on on um yeah, just how I'd like to hear more about Tim Burton's like process and what he drew from in making that film too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, this has been Cinemaniac Jack. I'm your host, Jack. Today's guest co-host was uh, Toria. Thanks for having me. Yeah, cool. Happy spooky season. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, See you next time. Bye.